Hello and welcome to NLAB Talks. I'm your host Nurgül, the founder of NLAB Architectural Communications. Architecture is inspirational and so are the people behind it. We want to talk design culture, new projects and unique stories that have made it all possible. In this episode, my guest is award-winning architect, author and humanitarian Sumita Singha. For the past 30 years, Sumita has worked on sustainable design and campaigned for equality. Besides establishing her own practice, Ecologic, and the design charity Charushila, she has written numerous books, including Women in Architecture. Enjoy our talk. Welcome, Sumita. Many thanks for me meeting me today, actually. It's awesome to have you here. You have such an amazing career and, I believe, so many stories. And I thought we could start with some memories because that memories are thought to be uh, consciously retained as a part of a creative identity. Can you describe the neighborhoods you grew up in? Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in, in Delhi and it's a very commercial area where I grew up. So it was uh, designed by Lutyens and Baker and it was called the Western Extension Area. Uh, so literally it was the Western part of Delhi. And it, it was very, um, when I think back, it was very divided on the racial lines, okay? So um, there, was a, there was an outcrop, hilly outcrop, which is called the Ridge. Hmm. And it had, um, it's like a green belt kind of in the yeah. cities for hmm. the lungs, the green lungs of New Delhi. Now, what they did was they put the people like us behind that uh, ridge. Hmm. So Latians designed it. And in the front were all these grand bungalows and, you know, with huge lawns and huge homes and everything. So the, the area where I grew up was actually originally meant for laborers to live in, uh, to build New Delhi. Hmm. So it's like, a, you know, they had very rectangular plots. Uh, like, you know, long, thin plots, houses just next to each other. We did have a front and the back open space, but that was it. And we had parks in the center, like a shared park space. So, uh, and then gradually after the independence, uh, people uh, who were in Punjab particularly, because Punjab was divided and was very close to Delhi, mm -hmm. those people came and initially they lived in tents in a park. And then slowly when they had more money, because they lost everything, you know, they started to move uh, and buy these homes. So I grew up surrounded by Punjabi families uh, around me. And also Delhi is a city of immigrants. So mm. my family actually come from near Bengal. They come from Kolkata. And so we, you know, we came from there. There were people from Chennai, which used to be called Madras in those days. So, and then the, there were people from um, other parts of the country, but the Punjabis were the most uh, dominant people. So you have always kind of interest in the city as well, because you, you are seeing very different kind of communities in there when you are living. You had a kind yeah. of connection with different groups of people. Absolutely. And the fact that, you know, being a migrant in London is not very different from being a migrant in, um, in Delhi. You know, in fact, when I used to go on the street, because my looks are very different from a North Indian, people would say, where are you from? And they ask the same questions in London. Where are you from? <laughs> so, I've got used to it. 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, also interestingly, I read your interview in the University of Cambridge alumni website. Uh, you, you, you said that you felt a special affinity with UK, especially when you introduced with the Queen uh, Elizabeth. So it's, this introduction is uh, also interesting. Could you tell us about this story as well? Yeah, so my school, um, so it was the, the Christian school in my area. And oh, this school had a good name to it. It was a private school. So it was very hard because my parents had to find money for us to go to the school. But my father, and, and my father used to teach in another school. So we could have gone to his school. Um, you know, actually we couldn't have gone to a school because initially it was just boys school. So, but we could have gone to some other schools, you know, which were like the government schools. But my father said, look, if you are educated, you're educated for life. You have to put everything into it. You know, that's one thing you have to get out of poverty. And so I don't know how my parents found the money, really. I mean, they, my mother, she's amazing. You know, she had this diary, I remember. And she used to note down everything, like, you know, if she bought some vegetables and everything. And she used to go to buy vegetables at the end of the evening when they were like literally, you know, going. So all the ones she could get, she would get those. And, you know, it wasn't that we we had, um, we were always ill. I had um, on my face, there are marks and smallpox, chickenpox. I had diphtheria, I had whooping. I had all the injections, but I still got them because we were not eating properly. And my mom used to go to the ration shop, and which is a government shop, and she would buy rice, and the rice would have these insects in it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I would spend a lot of my time actually <laughs> taking those insects out. And, um, you know, so I actually was very, very thin. So if you look at that photo of me painting, you'll see I was very thin. And I used to take hours to eat my food, you know, because I would be picking out these weevils from them. Yeah, it was a local school, so my parents worked very hard to send us there. And uh, this was a Christian school. And um, then the Queen um, uh, was coming to, the, uh, to India. And for some reason, my school was chosen to uh, welcome her. But um, I had already been asked to create this mural. So it was somehow not kind of, it was just coincidence that the mural was being designed and the queen was coming. So it was a good, good luck for me. So they then they said that the queen would inaugurate this mural. So we were sent all these documentations and all the checks, security check and everything. And my father and I, we went there and uh, it was really nice to meet her. Just uh, talked a few sentences with her. She doesn't talk very much. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I was really, she was very, very um, kind and she was very uh, understanding. You know, the students were doing all sorts of things with her, making her walk, or, you know, with something on top of her head. And, you know, she was a very good sport, I have to say. <laughs> Actually, you then you have always interest in arts, right? Then the, yes. the mural. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So how did you, your interest in architecture, first of all, is there any role models in your family or it's only your thoughts about becoming an architect? Um, yeah, so um, we were always encouraged to be creative when we were young, you know, and we didn't have, uh, initially we didn't have any paints or anything. So we lived in this house, one uh, 
it was like we lived on the first floor and there's one room and uh, there was like a outside toilet and bath with a tin roof on it which used to get really uncomfortable during the summer so that's how we were living the uh, there were first initially me my parents and my younger sister and then we had a third sister so we were three sisters living in that space and the, during the monsoons all the water would come into the floor everything because it was just one room and then rest was terrace so um um, my uncle, whose house it was, he lived downstairs and he didn't have children. So he took an interest in us and he was a very inventive kind of character. So what he did was he made these uh, paints at home. So he would, you know, I don't know if you know, the, you know, there's that blue uh, dye they used to make clothes white. So he would mix that with PVA glue to make blue oh. for us. And, and then there was the, you know, the red uh, thing that women put on the, in the Indian uh -huh. women. So he would mix that to make red. And then he would mix turmeric to make uh, yellow for us. And so we started off with using those kind of colors. And he would ask us, you know, to paint on the back of ca calendars and things like that. And then slowly I started to get prizes. Uh, and then the prizes often would be painting materials. So <laughs> I started to get a collection of, of, of those. Yeah. And then I got, um, when I was 14, I was um, selected the best artist in wow. Asia, all of Asia. So I was always interested in art and creativity. But um, uh, my father wanted me to be a doctor. It's probably a typical Indian thing as well. You know, he couldn't see any future in me being an artist. So he said to me that, you know, the doctors, they bring so much value to society. They cure people of illness. And so you, you should become a doctor. Uh, but I, I just, I, I didn't like the idea because it was all very, you know, it didn't have any creativity in it. So what I said, well, why don't I choose a subject which is creative as well as technical and the subject that was architecture. Yeah. So, and, but there was nobody, as you said, you know, in my family who had studied architecture and my mom was a housewife. Uh, so I had no role models, but I decided that, uh, I think it was a teenager, 13 or 14 years old, that I was going to be an architect. Actually, I thought the same way. There's a saying that, Creativity without strategy is art, but creativity with strategy is innovation. So it's kind of... Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> so you are uh, merging together. I, I believe that this is the thing that architecture is all about. Like it's analytical, but it's always you have to be a creative person as well. But uh, I'm really wondering about your thought that architecture is kind of the strategies and this innovation. So do you believe that architecture can really change the lives or help people? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's interesting that my father thought that architecture couldn't uh, bring value to society. Hmm. And I thought otherwise. And I think my um, studies have been like that to prove that you could bring value to society and also i mean we had very interesting people in um, in the university so the um, arundhati roy who wrote the you know god of small things she was three years senior to me at uh, school mm -hmm. of planning and architecture so she used to do things like she was a you know quite a campaigner even when she was a student so she would go and live in the slums uh, just to show you know that there was no difference between her and uh, them and those sort of things she did and I was I was more I was different I was also a campaigner but my interest was also in the environment 
you know, very ecological uh, yeah. environment. And I, I, you know, and I lived in such poor conditions. So there was like no attraction for me to go and live in a slum. <laughs> I was already living in one room with, in such difficult circumstances. So for me, it was not a novelty, you know, to go back to uh, living like that. Um, and I, we used to go to our village quite a lot. Mm. And also there was only mud. It's a very small, tiny village. It took about 36 hours to get there by train and bus. And it was quite a journey, you know, because the train used to drop us at three o'clock in the morning. And we had to wait until 7.30 in the morning to get this bus, which took another uh, five hours to get to the village, you know, on all these pothole roads. Um, and, and we were very small, you know, we'd, be, we, we'd been doing this since we were like uh, little, you know. So we, I had seen the whole range of poverty. Um, so I wanted to, to do something which was more eco-friendly, you know, design something eco-friendly. So I feel that architecture can bring, um, you know, a, a sense of awareness of the environment bring a sense of spatial justice. You know, the fact that um, whatever, however uh, small my house was in Delhi, I was still, you know, there was a roof over my head, but there were people sleeping outside. So architecture could um, help in that, you know, bring spatial justice, as I call it. Yeah, actually looking to your architectural uh, practice, we can see that environmental concerns and social equality in the first place. So. Uh, your experience is also coming to your work. The integrity of your work and your history of your life is coming together in your architectural works as well. So, uh, and besides architectural works, you also set up an environmental charity. Yes. It's interesting because it's called, I, I, I couldn't spell it, Cher Cherishila, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, can you tell about the motivation behind founding this charity? So, that's also kind of uh, similar to my practice. Uh -huh. So, but this is more doing kind of what I call invisible work. So, it was based on food security. So, the fact that a lot of people I met didn't have enough food to eat. You know, how could you grow your own food? So, that kind of base. And I, I mean, I love gardening. I love growing things. So that kind of emerged from, from there. And even in Delhi, you know, where my mother, she would get, get all these sort of old boxes and she grew amazing stuff and still does, you know, amazing stuff she grows um, in her little terrace. So I got, and I think, I think I've got a lady from Istanbul who's a neighbor and, oh. and she grows amazing stuff, you know, and she told me there's a tradition. She's actually featured in my book. Um, yeah, so there's a tradition of growing food in every culture. So, um, you know, I wanted to bring that. And I thought it'd be good to get it as a separate charity because we don't want to mix my practice with the charity work. So that's, that's what I did. And Charushila, which you pronounced very, very well, is actually my grandmother's name, my father's mother. So Charu means clever or beautiful. And Shila is a rock. So it's like a foundation. It's like a beautiful foundation, her name. And because my dad was very fond of his mother, I thought I will call it by that name so that he, know, he knows that I'm doing something good in my grandmother's name. Wow, perfect. Actually, in these pandemic days, people are more and more aware of about the NHS. So it's interesting that 
Uh, as an architect, I really admire your uh, being a part of NHS Foundation Trust uh, in the Moore Fields. So, why uh, why is this important for you to mixing your duties in not only the architectural way but also different disciplines? It is it yeah. really, uh, finds me interesting. I I think it kind of when you look at it, it's all tied up together because you know food security, ecology. Um, building built environment and then your health is all together isn't it and you know when you look at what happened with covid uh, you see that you know the health is so important the you know the yeah. fact that you know the air has to be pollution free uh, you need to be um, thinking about maybe the sizes of homes people live in the quality of building materials so all these things actually quite neatly tie into the health thing but the way it happened wasn't uh, like that because actually um, they the RIBA received a an email from their trust to say they were looking for an architect uh, who was also in, interested in diversity issues mm. so i mean i i just got the email and i didn't know anything about uh you know how to apply or anything i'd never been on a board before but um uh, i thought oh let's let's have a let's go and let's go for it sounds interesting i was also a patient i'm also a patient at this hospital because i have glaucoma so i i just thought okay here's a chance to make a difference and also um this is funny because my dad wanted me to be a, a doctor remember yeah. Yeah. So, and he was very proud that you know when when i so i applied for this and then initially like apparently there were hundreds of people who applied which was then shortlisted to 12 and i had an interview on the phone and then five people were shortlisted for the actual interview and so when i went there i i took i took this book actually funny I took this book for the interview and and I said you know that people can make architects can make a, a difference to people's lives and they were building uh, they were trying to build in central London and that's why they were looking for an architect but also interestingly they were looking for someone who was invest, interested in diversity inequality diversity inclusion and I had set up the architects for change at the RIBA so it all kind of fitted in and I was selected and my dad was so proud of me. Oh, amazing. Actually, we are doing a lot of things in our lives, but sometimes in, in a day that they come and merge together, like not the coincidentally, but uh, it, it kind of prepared itself for these things, right? Yeah. So, and I would like to come to uh, now RIBA's. Uh, Actually, interesting. When I look up the origins of the RIBA, it's in like uh, 1791, I believe. It's only a private architects club. So, why did you join initially in the first place? Well, my my school in Delhi was RIBA validated. So, when I came to the UK and I decided to settle here, I decided to apply for Part Three here as well for the RIBA. But you're right. 1791. It was a gentleman's club only men you know and then uh, it was became it received a royal charter in 1834 i think and then <clears throat> the first woman to get in she was i think 18 is it 98 or something mm -hmm. charles ethel uh, sorry ethel charles mm -hmm. and her sister were the first two people to get in and she had a really difficult time because you know nobody even would take her for an apprenticeship so she was um I, th I think she won 
uh, they had to vote and she won by two votes. <laughs> so she, <laughs> yeah. So she continues to inspire me because I'm thinking of those days, you know. But the thing is that women have always been marginalized. So she became a member of the RIBA. But then after that, we don't hear very much about her. So she designed some cottages and things like that, you know, small scale work. She, she never did any big stuff. So you, you, I think you can see that there's an issue here where women are good enough because she won the silver medal. You know, mm -hmm. she was a silver medal winner. So she was very talented. Then what happened to her? And the same thing's happening now, you know, 18, whatever, 1898. And now we are like two centuries later. Actually, what do you think about a good leadership? I think a leader, you know, people who um, are leaders should be uh, people who are look, look up to. Because I think people are so disillusioned with leadership at the moment, you know. They, they see people who are, um, you know, saying one thing, doing one thing, and um, people are fed up. You know, people are fed up with leaders taking the wrong decision and not actually asking what people would like to do. So I think leadership is about participation and asking people what they want and, and doing it for them. That's why you're a leader. You're a leader to, to just do what you want to do. People have elected you for some reason. So therefore, you know, that's, so and, I, and I think the part of ethics is, is really important. You know, people, leaders who are um, up there should be, uh, people that you can trust. So for my NHS work, for example, we have to take, uh, we abide by the Nolan principles of public life. Mm. So there are sort of, you know, few, I think, I can't remember, there are nine or seven principles, uh, including like accountability, transparency, and all this kind of thing. We have to follow those. And, you know, it's really important that people who are in the public life, like even if you're, um, in the NHS, that you're seen, that you are, um, you know, you're ethical, you're an ethical, transparent person. And also, when I read about your, uh, there's a saying from your mother, I believe, she said that if you ever kind of uh, find a position in a privilege, then you should help to others. So yeah. I believe this, as you told, the ethical leadership and this transparency is all about kinding of, uh, ambition to succeed, but also you have to help to others, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that is about, you know, people getting into positions of power and then they don't do anything. They forget their manifesto. And I think that this is this is the problem. So what she said was very basic, that if you ever find yourself in a position of privilege, then you have to do everything in your, um, in, you know, that you can do to help other people. And I, I think that's also my dad. He, he would have said the same. What do you feel are the biggest challenges like for architects working today in, uh, in the world right now? The biggest challenge, the biggest, biggest challenge is climate crisis. You know, that has to be resolved uh, somehow. You know, we, all the nations have to get together. We have to speak up about climate crisis. So that is really big. And there are other things which are happening, which are like wars, refugee crisis. You know, I know that Turkey has been really affected with refugees coming in. And they are actually also, uh, they are running away from wars. They're also trying to find a good life for themselves. Any human being would, would like that, yeah. 
but mm -hmm. also some of them are coming because of climate crisis you know because um you know they, they can't grow their food anymore there's no rain or whatever there's um or there's too much rain floods or something so there is all this sort of upheaval going on but we have to um sort out the climate crisis first because we have less than less than 10 years before 2030 which is the point where we hit 1.5 degrees so as as you said as a people we are always like taking these challenges and thinking about some solutions about it especially as as you took an architectural education you always take the problem and somehow find a solution and impact the world in a good way but sometimes it's really hard to and to think about all the problems and maybe sometimes your mood kind of down and you maybe overwhelm the problems facing the world so how do you stop yourself from getting down yeah i mean i think things can make you really depressed particularly the climate crisis because it seems such a big problem and you have to bring like what 200 nations you have to bring them together and also you know you have uh, not just nations you have people's expectations mm. so you have more than 7 billion people on this planet and you know they all want to live like americans right so they all want to have the luxury you know big home car whatever and you know on, on a human level you can see that you know maybe yeah you know if i was in their position i would also like to have the same luxury you know um so it's very difficult to to say okay we're living in this luxury but you 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 don't need to live like us you know so this, this is the moral problem you know we're telling other people um sort of majority of the world how to live and we're living in a different way so we have to actually cut our um luxuries in some ways so we have to take on some hardships and then we have to give back to these people you know who have nothing so you know i i, I said earlier on that you know if you can imagine yourself in the position of a poor farmer and then work out what the connection between you and that farmer would be how you what you're doing here might affect his life or her life then uh, you know you're being a human we, we we're all sort of interconnected isn't it we live in an interconnected world um i'm a buddhist so i go on this idea of um, you know connection between myself and the environment so that is that is my philosophy that keeps me going uh, and also you always mentioning about like innovation diversity collaboration in your works in your thoughts i i know it so uh, i'm wondering what is your ultimate goal when it comes to your life because uh, after years what do you want to remember it for i know i thought a lot about that and it was, it's a very very difficult question it's like you know what would you like your obituary to be i think almost isn't it um <laughs> so um, i kind of thought of a couple of things so as a person i would like to be known that uh, you know i'm an ethical person and then i try to help as many people as i can i did my best for the environment uh, that's me as a sort of a professional woman and uh, secondly i'm very proud of my children so uh, what they have achieved you know so i'm i'm you know i would like to be remembered as a very active and very um caring mother because you know my children 
when they were little, they used to come with me on building sites, everywhere I took them, you know. So they've grown up with architecture, wow. uh, but they, they, they're very strong people in their own right. You know, they have their views. They're very, they're both activists. So my younger son, for example, he was participating in the climate uh, strikes. Um, he's now doing a course on sustainable design. And my older son, he's also studying art, uh, history of art and architecture. So his last year's thesis was about um, um, modernist architecture. And this year it's been about the Black Lives Matter movement. So they're both kind of really people I look up to. I'm really proud of them. So I don't know. So I would like to be remembered as a as a good mother <laughs> i think i think they're very lucky about like learning from you because uh, it's not only the thoughts that you are saying you are always doing it's the kind of they are always seeing the integrity with you so uh, also uh, i i'm asking these questions every guest that i'm inviting my podcast so regarding the future i i know that you are a very optimistic and hopeful person but i would like to ask regarding the future what are you optimistic about Okay, so first of all, I'm really optimistic about young people. Um, you know, really, really hopeful that uh, the next generation will really do something positive. You know, you've seen this happening with the Black Lives Movement. You know, younger people of all colors and backgrounds got together and they have done so much. I'm, I'm really proud that, you know, they, 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 they haven't had any history. So when I was growing up in the 70s, you know, there were all these... Um, movements going on you know the hippie movements and stuff like that so i feel that it's might have come back again you know <laughs> that it's not not hippie but you know that kind of thing that people feel so passionate about climate crisis black lives movement um, um uh, black lives matter movement so and me too as well you know feminists and all that so i i think i think people young people are going to change the world and that's why i feel very hopeful and optimistic When you see people, um, you know, doing things like, uh, you know, in, in the protest, the, the children, that's what really amazes me. You know, it's like 16, 15-year-olds going on strikes because it's their life. You know, I, I feel afraid sometimes I, I won't see my grandchildren, you know, because what is happening with the, with the planet. You know, I feel really passionate about it. So um, I think... I think there is an urgency to this, which has never been before. Do you want to add something else? So, you know, I was really encouraged by Barack Obama's campaign, you know, when he started, because, you know, it was 2008, um, you know, it was a financial crash at that time. There was a pandemic going on as well, 2008, 2009, you know, with the, uh, I think it was the avian flu, H1N1 flu going on. Uh, it was really a time of upheaval and nobody had heard of him, right, before 2008. And here was this person that, you know, he had the courage to believe that he could become the president of the United States. And, you know, I really feel that that sort of courage, you know, coming from his background to say, okay, there's a different kind of person, you know, that, um, you know, I think he defined uh, black Americans in a different way. You know, a lot of black Americans look up to him because he's a role model, you know. And if you read his, um, if you read his autobiography, and, you know, he, he really struggled, 
with his own because he's half you know he's mix of um you know white and black and he struggled with with where he wanted to position himself and you can almost when you read the book it's almost like you can feel you know that that real struggle in his heart where where does he want to be and and you know to become that role model not just for black americans white americans you know everybody loves him so it is a tremendous feat you know but he did it because he was courageous i think the thing is people can see through authenticity so with barack obama's campaign he came across as a very authentic person he was speaking from his heart you know when he that famous speech he made about the united states of america you know the one about being united together and you know people could see that he was really speaking because if you read this book he is divided in his heart and he's struggling and then he brings that in a speech and saying no we have to unite and he says it with such passion and with such um you know with such sort of understanding and knowledge that people think yes it doesn't matter what our skin color is we have to come together and and then so people can read through authenticity i think that these uncertainty times always makes people come much more together these challenges i hope that the world is needs much more people like him yeah yeah uh, thank you sumita it was nice to talking with you actually well i you know just those last two points uh, i want to say that basically i would like to say to younger people is uh, be authentic and be courageous because a lot of the time i wasn't you know i was feeling a bit timid mm. and you know you have to like think okay i can do you can dream big and i think having that that perspective that the, you, you know you can do something for the entire world you know that's i'm 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 really hoping that somehow all these nations can get together and do something for the environment so have having a very big uh ambition in your life you know can actually help you and give you courage as well thank you so much thank you nirgo thanks for listening to this week's episode and don't forget to subscribe to us on itunes and spotify see you next time